It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Chuck and Sam. Wow, Chuck, we have got something to talk about today. We've got a guest on the line who is pretty darn morbid, what he has written about. Alexander Rakin, a freelance journalist and writer interested in medical ethics and bad statistics. And before we get into the meat of this interview, Alexander, I've got to ask, since you're into bad statistics, and we seem to be seeing an awful lot of them, what is one bad statistic from the Biden administration that's caught your attention? <laughs> well, let's start with 11%. Um, that's something that uh, I wrote about uh, for City Journal, which is there's a relatively new study uh, by, uh, uh, by Marcilla Aslan, um, who's uh, at the Harvard University. Uh, and uh, she was talking about, uh, in the Oakland study, that uh, if you have race matching between physicians and patients, right? So if you incentivize black patients uh, to be treated by only black physicians, that uh, the cardiovascular gap uh, between uh, black patients and non-black patients would decrease by 11%. And, well, the problem is that study was pretty much bunk. And uh, Do No Harm talked about it uh, in great detail, and you can read that. you can read that on City Journal. But uh, it, it, and this is being pushed by the Biden administration. And, and folks, we will share that on our website. That is it is a perfect Biden administration statistic because obviously, I think the quality of a doctor depends entirely on their training and skill, and exactly. not at all on their race. Exactly. But okay. Exactly. Um, Alexander, you wrote and you've been writing. Uh, about Canada's euthanasia regime. regime. I, I think a lot of Americans are not aware of what this is, what's going on, and it is it is astounding. I mean, reading what you have written on this turned my stomach, but also um, it's pretty eye-opening for the direction of socialized medicine. Can you tell our folks what this is, what they're doing, and, and th- what the theoretical parameters of it are? Yeah, so let's be clear. Canadians are also not aware of what's happening. In 2015, the Canadian Supreme Court overturned its own precedent, and they ruled in Carter v. Canada in a unanimous decision that euthanasia and assisted suicide should be decriminalized in Canada. They said that if you decriminalize euthanasia and assisted suicide, and they call, and what the government of Canada eventually ended up calling MAID, or medical assistance in dying, that uh, people with disabilities could still be protected, their autonomy to choose how to how they will die would be uh, would be fervent and strengthened. Instead, what we've seen is that we've seen Canada turn out to become the world's largest euthanasia program. It is also the fastest growing euthanasia program. Originally, and on paper. The only people who qualify are people who have grievous and irremediable suffering. And yet, what we've seen is that Canadian physicians have been a little bit coy about this. In private seminars, they discuss that people are being provided euthanasia because of lack of financial support, 
credit card debt, lack of housing, lack of medical care. They collected evidence about this. They made PowerPoints about this. And then they kept it quiet. In, and then, excuse me, and then they kept it quiet in public. So I interviewed over 50 people as part of this piece. I talked to the president of the Canadian Association of Made Assessors and Providers who assured me that this isn't happening. And yet, it turns out that they had an entire seminar about it literally a year before I spoke to her about it. So Canada, this started in 2016, first year about 1,000. Um, in 2021, they had over 10,000 Canadian citizens they euthanized. And comparable to California, which is somewhat similar population size, California in 2021 had 400. Well, what is Canada thinking? And at the same time, all we hear about here in, in America is how great their medical system is, how great their public housing programs are. But now they're saying, I, mean, I guess this is a bad Yelp review. They're not good enough, so we're just going to terminate you. Isn't that basically what they're doing? Well, that's not what they're saying that they're doing, but effectively it is. I've, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to multiple patients right, who have told me, you know, I think that this program is unfair. I think that this is eugenics. But you know what? I have, let's say, fibromyalgia, right? I have a chronic illness. It's not terminal, but I can't get the help that I need in order to live. And I feel, and again, I've heard this from multiple people, that I feel like I'm being forced to take MAID. So it's exactly that. Canada is on you know, we heard a couple of years ago, right, that Canada, that America should emulate Canada's medical system. Well, Canada's medical system is literally collapsing. That's not my word. Please don't, <laughs> please don't, uh, don't assume that I'm the one who's saying this. This was the head of the Canadian Medical Association saying in uh, this summer that Canada's medical system is collapsing. Last week, Canada's federal minister of health said that Canada's healthcare system is undergoing a sickness. Now, look, you said it in French, but it still matters. <laughs> so, I, so, so yeah, yeah, French still matters. We're still going to accept it. It's an international language. So in, 20, <laughs> in, in March, so, so, in, so, so this, so our audience knows, and if you can explain this a little bit further. So they're expanding the program, right? They've had such great success. Yep. They're expanding it. So in March 2023, mental illness alone will be qualified as an acceptable medical reason to die. And then Quebec College of Physicians now suggest to the Parliament that they expand euthanasia to eligibility to minors and even newborns. So let's start first with the acceptable, 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 sorry, medical reason to die. Um, and, and, and they moved it to mental illness. They expanded it. What, what is the mental illness? I mean, what is the qualification that your mental illness says, I can get two physicians to sign off on this? Right. So l- let's begin with... A simple, well, just a little bit of a, a background in history, right? The original bill that was passed in 2016, or rather, excuse me, came into force in 2016, was Bill C-14. At the time, the requirement was that you needed to have, and this was undefined, you needed to have a reasonably foreseeable death, right? It is unclear what exactly Parliament meant, uh, meant by that. Well, Canadian physicians always especially because of the work of the Canadian Association of Made Assessors and Providers, or CAMAP. They always took a liberal approach to this, right? It didn't mean that you, need, it didn't mean that, uh, you needed to have a terminal illness, necessarily, 
right? It just meant that you needed to have <laughs> a, a sort of an X amount of years left to go, right? It, isn't Even the- back then... Yeah, sorry. Isn't this a condition that applies to all of humanity by definition? Like the reasonable expectation of death is at the end of the road for all of us. Yes. So they have qualified. So literally seniors, right? People over 75, some made physicians. And this is, by the way, what they teach in their training seminars. That age alone will help qualify you for a reasonable people death. Right? This is the only country in the world, the only euthanasia program in the world, where tired-of-life cases, right, happen. The only one. That was in 2016. In 2021, a new bill, a further expansion came to be through Bill C-7. Even though the reasonably foreseeable death was already a very lenient uh, eligibility requirement, they removed it. And in fact, they turned it into two tracks, where you have track one, you still have the very loose reasonably foreseeable death, and then track two, you don't even need to have a reasonably foreseeable death. So as part of that bill, the Parliament of Canada, through Justin Trudeau, right, we have a, <laughs> it's not like in the U.S., right, uh, the legislature and the executive are pretty much the same thing. They added a sunset clause that was buried into the bill. It was a surprise amendment. It was by a Canadian psychiatrist in the Senate. So there was no debate about this, right? And what they ended up doing is that they added a sunset clause and said that in two years, people with only mental health, uh, with only mental illnesses, will qualify for MAID. Oh, my gosh. So that's what we're seeing. And what ended up happening is that they passed it, right? That's a sunset clause. They passed it. And then they said, we're going to study it. Well, the study, (laughs) which, by the way, is a a little bit suspicious, (laughs) right? How can you study something after you pass it? Right. Well, that's what they ended up doing. Well, that's Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, the study that came out was by the expert panel on mental health and MAID. They recommended no additional legal safeguards for those cases. Oh, All that they said was that the safeguards work. There's no additional legal safeguards for people with mental illness. So, so someone, so- someone has been diagnosed with a mental illness. There's no legal safeguard. Is, do they have to seek a second opinion? Do they have to... Um, do they have to seek treatment for their mental illness before this becomes an option? Nope. Nope. All that you need to have, and this is true for all of these cases, you need to have a second assessment by a clinician. So it can either be a physician or it can be a nurse practitioner that says that you meet the eligibility requirement. In practice, it is virtually impossible for you not to receive a second uh, clinician to support you. And it's not just by doctor shopping. It's because, and this is what uh, Canadian physicians are being taught in seminars on MAID, and the organization, CAMAP, by the way, is literally being funded by Health Canada to develop the voluntary training standard, right? What they're being taught is that you can ask as many clinicians as you want for a second opinion. What Jocelyn Downey, who's a professor at, uh, at Dalhousie University, a professor of law, and who also was part of the legal team that helped decriminalize made in the first place, what she teaches Canadian physicians is that, quote, you can ask as many assessors as you want or need. She says that disagreement doesn't mean you must stop. So, yes, you can ask as many clinicians as you want, as long as you get any second assessment, even though you could have, theoretically, 10 10 other clinicians or 100 other clinicians, 
saying that made for this person is the wrong thing, it is illegal, it is immoral, you can still proceed. We're with Alexander Rakin. He is a journalist. He wrote No Other Options in the New Atlantis. It's about Canadians' euthanasia. We, before we go to break, how many physicians in Canada are not participating in this? I mean, there have to be some folks just saying, I'm, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not doing this. I'm not signing this. How many, what percentage do you know? Are there lots of doctors saying no to this? Is it, because, is it a cottage industry now? The majority are saying no, right? Roughly only 1,000 Canadian clinicians perform aid. The rest do not. But here's the problem. Canadian medical associations in many provinces, like British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec, instituted an effective referral. So it means that if you have this spring, right, someone that's coming to you with just depression, just depression that you know is very likely to be treated for antidepressants, right, um, they, the, there's the requirement that those clinicians have to provide an effective referral to another doctor that they know would provide me in those cases. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We'll be coming back in just a moment with more from Alexander Rakin. This is Breaking Battlegrounds. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Warren, and my co-host, Sam Stone. Today, we're honored to have with us Alexander Rankin. He has written a great article called No Other Options in the New Atlantis. It's about Canadians' euthanasia. Um, it's horrible. They're, they're killing 10,000 of their folks a year, um, using it under the guise of humanitarian and, and goodwill. Um, His story had a piece about a woman who called in, asked for a wheelchair ramp, and was offered the yeah. opportunity to die it's instead. Like a, yeah, like, let's upgrade your stereo on the car. Um, one other topic that came out, the Quebec College of Physicians, Alexander, suggests that they expand euthanasia eligibility to minors and even newborns. I mean, wh what would that be for newborns? Is that Down syndrome? Is that autistic? Um, for minors, what, what, what qualifies you for this? So the exact same loose eligibility requirement uh, that qualifies adults would also qualify minors. They're advocating for no distinction. What they're advocating for, and, and, okay, I'll, I'll just say this. One of the weirdest reactions I got from my piece were all of the Canadian bioethicists that somehow I ended up aggravating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a Canadian bioethicist from Dalhousie responded to my piece. And again, I, I only mentioned this for, it was a single sentence. Uh, well, he ended up <laughs> tweeting at me with uh, his Substack sub article that claims that actually it's a good thing <laughs> that infanticide would be possible. And in fact, it does sound better if you call it the Groningen Protocol as opposed to infanticide. But it's the exact same requirement. It is Down syndrome. And in fact, what he argues is that, well, even if you do, even if you perform abortions, for everyone, every newborn, or sorry, even, excuse me, if you perform abortion for everyone that has Down syndrome, you still end up having the problem that there could be accidents that happen in birth. And that's why he suggests made is a good thing in those cases. So it's not just the Quebec College of Physicians, it's also Canadian bioethicists. Let me ask one question and turn the time over to Sam here. Are you, do you, do you, have a, are you religious? Do you have a religious background? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Orthodox Jewish. Um, you would, know, you, I, would you view, would you view this as evil? 
it, this does clash, obviously. It doesn't matter what I believe, right? I, I am an investigative journalist. Sure. I am an investigative journalist, right? I'm also an Orthodox Jew. I, I, I'm... We, we appreciate that. No, I mean, no, yeah. look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it evil. I, I don't. I'm not going to hesitate yeah. on this. I think this is evil. I think when you start, I mean, look, I get there is an adult choice if you're terminally ill and you have a few months to live. Right now, that's for them to do. Um, that's for someone to decide. But when you start expanding it to someone who's bipolar, who deals with anxiety, um, depression, can't find housing, or a kid because. He or she may have Down syndrome. I, I guarantee you, I mean, Chuck, there are politicians in this country looking at our homeless population here. Absolutely. And so, I mean, I'm going to call it evil, and I appreciate your take on it, and I appreciate your work as a journalist, but I'll just call it. It's evil. I mean, there's a special place in hell for people doing this. Sam, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, Alexander, you brought up earlier the the idea that this is rooted in eugenics, and I certainly think it is. I think you could take everything that you, the eugenics movement posited in the 1920s minus the racial element, and that is largely what is being implemented in in Canada. Is that wrong at all? I think you're right about this. Over 140 disability advocacy groups before the latest expansion of MAID said that this is eugenics, that this threatens their very lives. Even the, even the United Nations, the Special Rapporteur on Disabilities, condemned Canada's uh, expansion of MAID. So it's not just you saying this, it's not just me saying this, right? It's the very people who are most affected by this, saying that this is eugenic, that they feel that the government of Canada is not valuing their lives because of their disability. Do you know how long it takes to get services in Canada? No. You know, to see a psychiatrist, right, a specialized psychiatrist, like someone like John Marr, uh, who leads a team in Toronto, he describes himself as a psychiatrist, psychiatrist. He deals with treatment-resistant mental illnesses. His wait time right now is five years. He has 7,000 patients waiting for his medical team. And yet, to access MAID, to get your first appointment, I called the Ontario hotline. I'm, I'm a Canadian citizen. They didn't ask me for my Ontario health insurance number. They didn't ask me if I've heard about these other services. All that they said is that the nurse will call you back on that same day. I called at 1 p.m. By 7 p.m., I get a call from an unknown number. It's the nurse telling me that if I want to go ahead, that uh, my first made assessment will be in two weeks. Five years for treatment. Two weeks to kill you. Gee, manetly. Alexander, I have to ask, something we posited on this show that we've seen quite a bit is I think there's a little bit of a mask coming off certain elements of the environmental movement where it's not really about just reducing impacts from humans on the planet, but it's actually about reducing humans on the planet uh, and population reduction. Is there an element of that support that is driving this? So I can't really speak to that. But what I can speak to you is that there has been there has been an independent study and a study by the Library of Parliament that look at the financial aspect of this. Right, And it is saving the government a tremendous amount of money, which, by the way, both of those studies, they somehow still assumed that if you qualified under a reasonably foreseeable death, that your death would have occurred anyhow within less than a year, which isn't true. So the actual cost savings of this is, is significantly more than what they estimated. Chuck and I have talked rather morbidly on here about how much COVID is going to end up saving governments around the world in terms of senior care. 
and these sort of programs really have seen to accelerate in Canada and other places after COVID. Yeah, people have qualified for Maine because of long COVID. Loneliness. I mean, there's loneliness. Yeah. They're claiming loneliness, right? I mean, this sort of sounds like a sequel to Soylent Green, the movie. You know, one of the hardest things about all of this uh, is the story of Rosina Kamath. Uh, Rosina Kamath was a 41-year-old woman with fibromyalgia. She had all the mental health issues. But I, I really thought that when I started out this entire investigative project, that it would be it would be a conversation about nuances, right? That you know she did have she did suffer tremendously, and she also ended up on paper choosing to die from maid, right, from her own volition. Except when I started probing around the edges, when I started looking at her YouTube videos, she had a YouTube channel where you know two dozen people watched her. Uh, when I started interviewing her friends, her powers of attorney, it actually turns out that it wasn't the case. Rosina Camas in an email to herself. Right, that she then shared with her powers of attorney. She said that my suffering is mental, not physical. If I had more social support, if I had more friends, I forget the exact expression that she used, but she said that if she had more contact, she, she felt that she would be able to handle her physical illnesses alone. Wow. Well, I, I, pub- yeah. Alexander, I apologize. I have to ask you to wrap up there. How do folks follow you in your work? Yeah, you're more than welcome to follow me on Twitter. I <laughs> I started this out after uh, I started a Twitter account uh, right after the piece went live. Um, I'm at uh, at Alexander Reichen, uh, so you're welcome to follow me there. I have several more upcoming pieces that are coming up, um, and the story keeps getting more disturbing. Well, Alexander, thank you for the work you're doing. It is disturbing, but it is fantastic work. I know Chuck and I were just blown away reading this. Um, it's obviously something Americans know nothing about, but but as you say, even can- Canadians seem to be missing on this. Thank you again for joining us. Alexander Rakin, freelance journalist uh, and writer on medical ethics and bad statistics. You can find him at Alexander Rakin, uh, at Alexander Rakin on Twitter. Breaking Battlegrounds, coming back in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? That'd be a good thing today because the stock market is going down, down, down. Uh, this is a portfolio where you know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Like the surprise I received this morning when I looked at my portfolio, folks. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly, and there are no fees. Just talk to our friends at Y-Refi. They're local. Uh, they're trustworthy and honest. They're a due diligence-proof firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10.25%. Just log on to InvestYRefi. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them, 888-YREFI24. That's investyrefi.com or 888-YREFI24. And make sure you tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Well, um, that was depressing. Yeah. I don't think – Happy New Year's, everybody. I don't think – I don't think you're going to – that's the end of it. Happy Happy New Year's. You need a wheelchair ramp, so we'd like to kill you. You know, the Toronto Star called this program the Hunger Games of Social Darwinism. 
And I think that's very appropriate. And I'm surprised, I'm really surprised Canadians aren't raising their arms and fighting this in some way because it seems to be out of control. I know the press is really starting to cover it. We played a month or six weeks ago a, a nice piece from a Canadian television station. I, I'm guessing that there will be pushback that comes in the future as pieces like this are done and as people dig into it. But I got to tell you, the thing that worries me most in this story is the ethical breakdown of the medical establishment around the world. They are they are completely unequivocally against everything they supported as of 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the, the what is it, the uh, I, I was gonna, American Medical Association. Well, I was going to say Socratic Oath, but that's right. not it, the, the one they take or, or theoretically yeah. used to take. But, um, but, I mean, you know, do no harm, right? Do no harm. And they have not only thrown that away, they are actively seeking to put people to death. I mean, they're social planners is what yeah. they become. I was relieved to hear many doctors in Canada are not participating in this program. Folks, so you understand, in 2021, this program, which is called MADE, Medical Assistance in Dying, was 3.3% of all deaths in Canada. And, a- since, and since 2016, 31,664 people have been euthanized in Canada. If they add, which they are in March, because of mental illness, and then they expand it to children, you'll be doing forty, fifty thousand a year. And which know, is we, clearly their intent. The people behind this program—that's yeah, what they want. Yeah, it's you know, and the, I think the reason Sam and I—I I don't think the reason Sam and I are appalled by this, and we're going to spend some time on this during the year—is you know, Canada shares a border with us. We we, sh- we share a lot with Canada. Well, well, and the left shares their ideas yeah. in Toto. So, you know, I can see, you know, I, I hate to point this, say this and accuse them of it, but I can see this be a Gavin Newsom type ploy. Um, someone like Gavin Newsom, right? Slick back, say this is what we're going to do because it's it's tender, I, I, it's sweet, it's Kathy caring. Hockle. Yeah. Kathy Hockle. She's she's actually, yeah. to me, the one that would be the most likely to do this in New York because she seems – she's very technocratic. And, and that's where this seems to be coming from a sort of technocratic mindset that simply doesn't value the lives of people who aren't up to the standards of those technocrats. Um, you know, so example, some examples – and we're going to call this Canadian death squads because that's what they are. In Ontario, for example, doctors have no conscious rights. They must either kill qualified patients who ask to die or find a doctor they know who will do the deed, right? Um, Canada now conjoins euthanasia with organ, organ harvesting, giving the despairing a reason to choose death over life. So saying, look, you're going to die, but you're going to help someone else. So now they've lumped in organ harvesting on it as part of their campaign. Um, and again, March 2023, gang, mentally ill. If you know somebody in Canada that has depression or anxiety or any other ailment, boy, they're on the list. I I wasn't being facetious at all when I said that that I guarantee you right now there are politicians across the country here in the United States are eyeballing our homeless population with its significant mental illness and drug addiction problems and looking at this as part of the solution for it. I guarantee you they're doing that because this is such an effective cost saver for Canada. And they they, they have promised things they cannot deliver without causing this kind of human suffering. It's just appalling to watch. And the fact that 
it's not getting discussed more really is dependent upon us and our listeners raising alarms about it now. you got to just stop it in its tracks before it comes to America. Yeah, that's actually something I really appreciated about Alexander Rakin on that is he was very careful to define what he knew from his journalism yes. versus his own opinion. Yeah, he was right? actually a journalist. Yeah. Boy, it's nice to talk to one of those once in a while, isn't it, Chuck? <laughs> I tried to get him to call it evil. He just was not going to do it. <laughs> no. But, I mean, look, thank you, Alexander. Thank you for holding your ground against Chuck Warren's assault, folks. Breaking Battlegrounds is going to be coming right back here in just a moment. We have uh, one more segment on air, and then be sure you tune in for the podcast segment every week. Folks, Breaking Battlegrounds, back in just a moment. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new, on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor cost less. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Uh, fantastic discussion with Alexander Rakin. Uh, next up in our lineup of amazing guests. I think we have the best guest lineup in America right now on the, on the radio, on the airwaves, Chuck. I really do. Right now, Abraham Hamaday, he is the, was the candidate. I, I, God, it's, it hurts me to say that. Um, for attorney general here in Arizona, has been involved with a lawsuit with Maricopa County. Um, I, this obviously, the national news has been all about Carrie Lake. But the difference is, frankly, that that Abe finished within Abe. What was it? Five hundred something votes officially. Um, where, yeah, right. where frankly the the shenanigans or the miscues or whatever you want to call it, Maricopa County. I truly believe Chuck truly believes uh, it may not have crossed Kerry. I don't think it did. I think the margin was too great. But for you, uh, we we all feel like you were you were the AG that you were voted in, and they just let this 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 all these problems take it away. So, Abe, explain to our listeners what your complaints were um, so they understand what's going on, that this isn't just about you losing and being upset, that there were legitimate concerns that have not been answered. Well, thanks for having me on, Chuck and Sam. And, you know, something that I really pride myself in is that I've served our country overseas. I know the importance of elections and democracy, you know, for all the for all the issues that the media likes to claim that the guardian of the democracy, where were they when all the mishaps on election day were happening? Right? To me that was what's so concerning. You're right. We're you know, we, we're in this race. We just lost our court battle on Friday. Now there's a recount that the results will come out Thursday. But this for your listeners, this is the closest race in Arizona history by percentage, point zero two percent. And for the media and for the, the Democrats trying to make this, you know, seem like this is a temper tantrum, it's totally unacceptable because throughout history there has been contested elections, whether it was Al Franken and Norm Coleman in 2008 for that Senate race in Minnesota, or whether it was a Washington state governor race that was decided by a few hundred votes. This is just normal. So for our lawsuit particularly, what we're alleging is that there were illegal votes count cast and there are also legal votes that were not cast and i think we all recognize what happened on election day with the printers going malfunctioning and the ballot machines not reading these ballots you know it's an absolute disgrace to democracy and something that really hurts chuck and sam is 
you know, there could have been an easy remedy for all of this. It would have been imperfect, but it would have been a remedy. And it would have been to allow the, the, the polling locations to remain open for an extra few hours. But instead, what we had was Bill Gates, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, they took a position opposing that. And it was just shocking to me, and the judge went along with that, so they didn't extend voting hours. And then what you witnessed in Apache County, which is heavily Democrat, they extended voting hours because they had one location that had problems, and they extended it by an hour. So, you know, where we currently sit on the case right now is we're waiting to see the results of the recount. I think that's going to be really important and indicative of what our next steps are going to be. But, you know, I think it's an absolute disgrace that here the media they want to basically prop up this illegitimate uh, winner right now. I mean, if you look at my opponent, there are thousands of ballots that were not cast, thousands of ballots, provisional ballots that were not, they're not counted yet. And we're trying to fight to get them counted in the, in the legal system. But unfortunately, too often, the media just has this narrative that if you question any election, that you're a kook. And I think that's false. And I think in this particular area, with how close our election is, You know, that's why we're fighting. I think it's totally false in your case in particular. And I got to say one thing that bothers me a great deal. And obviously, I know Stephen Richer and Bill Gates. I would, you know, not Bill. I I, I know him, but I don't know him as a person on a personal level. Stephen, I know better and would call him, you know, a friend on, on the edges or whatever you want to call it. But I'm really bothered by the fact that they had very obvious flaws in their election. They screwed up, and yet they're stonewalling and refuse to admit any of it. Right. Like, how does this help the public trust in this election or any other going forward? Well, that's what I'm. That's why I'm fighting, Sam. I'm really, really concerned that so many Republican voters, you know, are going to think that this is this was intentional, which we don't know. Maybe, maybe it was sabotage. We don't know though. But my concern is that there's going to be there's going to be a percentage of Republicans who may never vote again because they just think the elections are rigged. And the county didn't really do them any service by by giving them trust that it wasn't. I mean, the fact I want to treat people who vote, whether it's on Election Day, whether it's by mail or whether it's early in person, the same equally. And I think the fact that so many people say, well, you had 27 days to vote. So it was your fault for waiting till Election Day. Is, is a disgrace to democracy, it's a disgrace to our election system. Because just imagine for one moment, Chuck and Sam, that say Stephen Richard, because he's in charge of the mail-in voting, that say that he you know, forgot to mail-in ballots 27 days prior to an election. Say that he mailed it 25 days, so there's two days lost. Don't you think the media and the Democrats would be livid over this and trying to find a remedy? And that's something that was shocking to me, which was the easiest remedy on election day would have been to extend voting hours. Um, but, you know, this is why I'm fighting it, because I worry that maybe one to three percent of Republicans may never vote again. And at that rate, I'm not sure how Arizona could become red. And, if, you know, one to three percent, that could be 50,000 to 100,000 Republicans just sitting it out. And that's that's control of the state, period. Yeah. Right. For a long yeah. time. Exactly. And that's what scares me. And I think that's what, you know, the Board of Supervisors, by them trying to justify and save their careers right now, by saying this is a perfectly run election, there's elections always have mishaps. That's not the message that what a leader does. Right now, a leadership takes responsibility for what occurred and says that we will investigate it. And actually, I was they're trying to do an internal investigation, which is just crazy to me. This requires an outside investigation. 
I mean, you have to get down to the source of what occurred. It could have been somebody within the county. This is something that requires, I mean, our, our democracy is at stake right now. Like the media like, always like to claim that we were the ones, you know, the biggest risk to democracy. But truly, incompetent election officials are the biggest threat to democracy. That's what we witnessed on Election Day, and that's why I'm fighting. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a forever optimist. I'm, this has been a, an amazing campaign, and it's just unfortunate how, you know, how things occurred on Election Day and that they refused to acknowledge their screw-up. And I think that's what Arizonans are so concerned about. And I think they've done a terrible job at trying to regain confidence in our elections. So it's up to me to try to make sure that the 1% to 3% that I'm scared may never vote again are encouraged to keep voting. Do, do you have any other, other any other legal attacks going on, any other legal motions that are still out there, or, or have you exhausted all those options? No, we haven't exhausted. We can always appeal that decision. So the, I want to explain to the, your listeners what occurred. So we filed our case. The county, Chris Mays, my opponent, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, they all ganged up on this, which was shocking to see, because you would think the county would acknowledge that there's a screw-up and let's just let the opposing parties deal with it. But we were just asking to inspect these ballots with good reason, because a lot of times people don't fill in the bubble all the way or correctly. Sometimes they circle the bubble. Sometimes they circle the Republican. Sometimes they write my name in plus, fill in the bubble. So there is so with this margin, 0.02 percent. I mean, just for your listeners to know, 500 votes out of 2.5 million. I mean, this is this is such it's, it's such a small narrow margin that any any shift could change the it's result. It's less than but, a rounding error, and you're absolutely <laughs> right. I mean, any tiny discrepancy could alter the outcome. How many voting precincts are there in Arizona? I'm well, not sure. The- well, they moved down to voting centers, but that's what. You know, I tell folks, if you look at what just occurred, how, you know, the Maricopa County took two weeks to count these ballots. And the judge, because of the stonewalling and and the roadblocks that the county was putting on us, multiple counties were putting on us, we had six hours with three people across the state to go through these ballots. I mean, we could not present a case in court. I'm a former prosecutor. I knew we were going to lose going into it because we had no ability to gather evidence because we were hamstrung by it. And I think we're going to see the results of the recount and see how that goes. And then we're going to make our determinations then. And the recount results come out Thursday. But, you know, it is it's it's it's, it's an uphill battle constantly when you have Democrats, you have the people who want to cover their eyes, Republicans who'd want to act like there's no problems in our elections. When you have them all conspiring against it, it's an uphill battle, and the courts feel so pressured. And I think that was our biggest hurdle. But you know, we haven't exhausted all options. We're just going to re- wait until the recount results, and then we'll figure out our next step. Abe, actually, I, I thought you you kind of brought up a good point there. I, I feel like it is sort of a conspiracy among these groups right now to to stifle your election challenges, to be able to claim that there's zero problem with our elections, when obviously that's patently wrong. Um, but one of the things that you brought up earlier in terms of what happened in Maricopa County and that I kind of got to push back and I know Carrie's going to be a little mad at me for saying this, but logically as someone who's worked inside government, if I wanted to commit a conspiracy to overturn the result of an election, the last people I would bring into it are the elected officials. I would not involve Stephen Richer or Bill Gates because they bring an element of risk that you would not have if you just did it with staff. 
Right. I mean, there, there's the bureaucracy, the bureaucratic state, as you know, the, the MAGA America First likes to call it the swamp. I mean, that does exist. The bureaucracy exists in any government organization. But the problem that I've got with our elected officials, they should have been the ones to say, hey, there was a massive screw up. And I'm sorry, this is unacceptable for democracy and to restore confidence in our system. But instead, they've been gaslighting us. So, you know, th- that's what that's what's scary to me is that you, you you're seeing so many Arizonans right now, you know, rightfully so questioning the integrity of our elections. And how could you not when when everything was fine prior to Election Day and then all of a sudden on Election Day, you have 30 percent of the printers malfunction? I mean, you 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 don't have to be conspiracy minded to say that seems a little fishy. That's a problem. And even if it was an accident, that's unacceptable because there is possible ramifications for that for decades in Arizona. You know, that that's what's so concerning. And that's why I'm fighting this battle so hard is because I want to make sure that Republicans will continue to vote. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it is critical. It's something I've had a lot of conversations about with people in the last few weeks. It applies here. It applies in Georgia, uh, basically applies uh, to all these mail-in ballot states right now. You have a, a serious deficit among Republicans. Um, Abe, thank you so much for, for fighting this fight. I know this has been probably the most trying time, one of the most trying times of your life, the ups and downs of this. Um, <laughs> he did serve in the Middle East, so I'm going to say that's still number one. Yeah. But then, you well, know, honestly, like, gentlemen, I, I want to thank you, too, because you guys were the first program that I when I first announced my campaign in November of 2021. And you know, you're right. If, if you if we would have guessed back then that we would be in this position, basically the last hope for Arizona right now with the closest statewide race in Arizona history, you know, I would have, you know, I would not have believed it for one bit. I, I, we've already I've already lived multiple miracles in my life. You know, <laughs> my parents coming from Syria with nothing and here I am running for attorney general. So, you know, I'm so beyond blessed. And I'm blessed to have gotten to know you two as well. And you know, I'm I'm still fighting because the, the the what they want us to do, they want us to give up our will to fight. And once that happens, it's game over. And I refuse to be known as a generation that lost America. So I'm still fighting. I love that, uh, Abraham Hamaday. Abe, how do folks follow you? How do they stay in touch with what's going on? Because obviously, I think they need to follow you directly. They're not going to get the real news on this story from the media. Absolutely. Well, thank God Elon Musk took over Twitter, so I'm even more active on Twitter. <laughs> but they can go to uh, Twitter.com, and it's, uh, my handle is Abraham Hamaday. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Abraham, for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on the program. Uh, obviously, as that recount comes down, we may may want to get you back on here and talk about that a little bit more. Folks, the closest race in Arizona history, tons of problems. And I don't care if you think it was a stolen election or if it wasn't a stolen election. At the end of the day, this election had, uh, Chuck, and you and I have talked about it, it had disasters. It was a mess. And the fact that the people responsible for it refused to admit that is causing the problem. Just like Biden's inability to deal with the stock market, Chuck, uh, which is why you should invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. A portfolio where you know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. And there's no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. Uh, what if And what if by investing you could do good also for other people? Because when you invest with Y-Refi, they actually put that money towards reducing costs for, for student loans for folks. So it's a fantastic deal. 
they are a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate, rate of return. So log on to Invest Y Refi. That's invest, the letter, uh, letter Y, then refy.com, or call them 888 Y Refi 24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Welcome to the podcast only segment of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Chuck, fantastic discussion today. I, I obviously what's going on with Abraham Hamaday, we both really feel like that election was stolen from him. You can Yeah, yeah. I mean I don't look, I don't think there were nefarious intentions on this. And I I, 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 I want to be clear. I mean, you and I will differ on this. I don't think there were. I got that yeah. But that being said, I don't I mean I actually I remember that day texting you know steven and saying get the hours expanded and he was for it so i know he wasn't the one opposed to this this is purely a gates situation. no that was gates that made because that i decision. know he was because he understood you know it's not you know people need to understand the recorder does not handle election day it's right. the Mar- maricopa board of supervisors right. so the recorder handles mail-in ballots right and early voting too correct uh no no uh, the, so that's the, the voting so yeah. mail-in ballots are the recorder Yep. And then the vote center, vote, everything vote that happens center. at the in-person vote center. So person. I know Stephen was supportive of that. I don't understand why the judgment say, yeah, you got another hour. I mean, I, I don't understand what was hard about that. Well, I mean, the, what was hard about that was Maricopa County saying we don't need it. Well, that, that's I mean, my that's point. that's totally and, wrong. And, and that's my frustration with Bill Gates. Why wouldn't he just say, look, I want no one complaining about this. So look, I'll give you another hour or two. I, I'm going to I'm going to be straight up. I know I, I he, Bill Gates left the city of Phoenix before I became Sal, the CCO's chief of staff. But it was pretty close. And, you know, you know, you, you get a lot of sense about a guy from staff. They'll tell you stories, this and that and the other thing. And here's what I got from Bill Gates. This guy is not someone who puts a lot of effort into his job. Really? This is Yeah. This is not someone who spends a lot of time digging on it. And the last thing he would ever want is to try to deal with. He is someone who will absolutely step up in front of the microphone and say whatever staff has told him to say. Well, again, if you're in that situation – and you know how you have people complaining, and we know Carrie Lake was not quiet. You well, that that hurt too. That yeah, that, that but, didn't but, help. But, you. but it's a freebie. Just going to say, yeah, they need to be open another hour or two. I think I mean, that I mean, was I the mean, easiest I mean, thing in the world. It, it, it would have solved so much of this. I yes. never begin, and so I do believe. Well, I, I think two things. I'm going to back you up. I would say do that, but then right now, you should be doing a very public and thorough analysis. Of your elections processes and how to improve them. Did he say there was 4,000 provisional ballots not counted? Yeah. Why were they not counted? Well, I mean, see, that's the thing. We don't know why they weren't counted. And again, they're not being transparent about any of this. So they've given no reason why those 4,000 provisional ballots were not counted. Well, they're just determined to be ineligible, but we don't know the reason that each one would be ineligible. I mean, you really, to, to honestly present the information from this election correctly and make sure every ballot's correct, counted correctly. Every one of those ballots, the candidate should at least in his campaign should be given the reason why they were rejected. Period. I mean, individually, each one of those 4,000 and give you a chance to contest. It's it's just unbelievable. Um, I want to go back briefly and talk about some other things, but I want to go back to our first guest, Alexander Rankin. we need to we need to have a show with him purely on bad stats put out by the government. I think that would be a fun show. I think it'd be fun. I highly go media. ahead and book it right now because I'm all I'm all I, in. I, I that sounds like a great. blast. You know, there's one thing we didn't talk about here, but this campaign 
and they will not admit it. It, you know, progressives love to throw the word out Nazis a lot. Right. They, that's a, they just like to make that accusation. Folks, this is what the Nazis did. They had a campaign called Life Unworthy of Life. And I laugh because this is so much what's going on in Canada. They're just not as direct about it, right? And, I mean, they have a poster promoting the concept, which we'll post on our social media pages so you can see it and share. But they were telling the, they were telling the readers back then about 60,000 of their monetary figures then would take care of some of genetic disability. So they're saying, comrade, literally, this is the, the motto, comrade, this is your money too. That's what they did. So saying right. 60000 a year, whatever the, the right, German right, denomination they, yeah. was, or, comrade, this is your money too. Which, which is clearly what Canada is doing, right? Yeah, I don't think – you and I have talked about this. And, 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 folks, as we talked in the first part, Sam and I were not being morbid. We're saying you're going to see numbers in three to four years because of so many seniors who have passed away because of COVID. That the, the that the pressure on Social Security funds is going to be lessened because you had these deaths. And, it's, and, it, you're, and, and that Sam and I do not glorify on that. No. We're just saying this is the reality just budget-wise. I sort of feel Canada's looking at it this way. But, but the reaction bureaucracy-wise is they're looking at that as a positive. They are going to look at that and see a positive and ask how they can have more of it. Well, the funny thing is if Democrats win a second term in the White House, whether it's Biden or someone else – and you have these numbers pop out and say 2026, they're going to claim credit for balancing right, right, right. <laughs> Social Security, right? right? I mean, that's what right. you're going to see. It'd be typical Biden numbers, which we will talk to Alexander Rakin about, yeah. <laughs> about bad numbers put out by the government. So, Well, and, and we are going to run at the end of this, Chuck. You had a clip from this – is, this is a, an apparel we company? Ha- yeah, we have two. So there's a fashion company that glamorizes – euthanasia in Canada. And they're talking about the peace of dying. So we're going to play that. And then we're going to pay a, play a clip from Tucker Carlson. Um, and he had the Creighton University uh, me- medical professor on talking about just how bad this is. Just, you need to call it for what it is. Um, so two interesting things to follow up on the show. But anyway, we'll follow up more on the story. I think it's important for our listeners here in the United States to understand this is something that's happening close to home. And there are people in this country, they're probably in some cocktail party tonight discussing that this isn't a bad thing. And when you start expanding it to those with mental illness, and as we've discussed on the show, when we had Christine Durham, how many people are battling mental illness, how many homeless we have, and now they're expanding it to children? It's amazing how much the left, which claims the moral high ground in everything it says and does, is the first people who are willing to throw someone overboard. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well. Right? I mean, that's what they're doing here is they're it's a, taking it's a, people. It's a secular view of the world. Well, and I think it, it really evolves from that view where religion has re- religion has been replaced by political ideology. If, you're, if, you're, if your faith is leftism and government, yeah. and government says, well, we need to kill people to further our, our mission – then killing people is furthering your faith. It, it, it is a perversion of the highest order. Absolutely, 100%. So, um, by the way, there's a great story today, folks, in the Wall Street Journal. Recommend you read it. It's talking about how credit unions have your best interest rates if you're getting a used or new car. It's like 50% less. So if you're looking at a new car, go out and get it. So, for example, credit unions are charging 5.94%. Banks are 8.36%. So if you're looking for a car, go check with your credit unions. Ignore the banks. Well, you know you know what the difference is? I have a friend who's a, a t- high, high up in a credit union, mm. 
and they don't do bad loans, right? No, they, they, so get to, they get to know their members, too. They get to know their members. So they have a much lower default rate on their loans. And as we're heading into a period where the industry expects very high defaults, all these other lending institutions are just padding their – Well, banks will go and make a bunch of loans because then they go put them together in a right. batch and they sell it on the market, right? right? Credit unions don't do that. They keep that – Right. In, they keep that note in-house keep, keep the it on their, Keep it in their books, yeah. right? And because they're member-owned – they're not being pushed by stockholders to you know, maximize profit as much as possible. So, for example, a new car at a credit union charges 4.43%. There are some people here that are talking about had 60-month loans at 2.25%, a bank 6.6% for, for, for a new loan, for a new car. Well, I, 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 it's amazing. One guy who may, may, may have to take out a loan for his next car, Carlos Correa. <laughs> What's going on, Chuck? We got to talk so, a little sports. So, Carlos Correa, for folks who don't understand, had a contract with the Giants. He did all star superstar shortstop. All star superstar. He he got reje- once he signed with or was signing with the Giants. Yeah. He did not pass a medical from an injury in 2014. We have found when he out. was in the minor leagues, and it hasn't affected him since. So he's still playing. Then he's gone to the Mets. Now the Mets are concerned because he didn't pass a medical because of this injury from 2014. I mean, we're talking eight years ago, which I. How do you? I mean, how do you look at the guy and you're signing this contract? You, you a you don't already know this, but b then. You're, so, so how many games? How many games has he averaged per season since he's been playing? It's like 140. He's been a, he's been really tough. He missed a few games with a back injury in 2018, 19. But that's it. Yeah, who hasn't missed a game because of a back injury? Chuck, I'm 47. I miss <laughs> games every year with that back injury. Yeah, it's it's you know that's what you know again that is one of the interesting things they keep using this medical exam. For a guy that's not been playing 140 plus games a year, yeah, for eight years, yeah. but now they're concerned about an injury from 2014. I mean, are they seeing something in these X-rays that I, we don't know? I, I would love to know. I would love to know. Also, if he decides not to sign with them and wants to come to the Red Sox, I don't. He doesn't even <laughs> need to take a medical. I don't care. I don't care. Sam doesn't care. He's we will homer. amputate the leg and send him up there to DH he's if a, that's what it takes. He's a homer for the Red Sox. Well, folks, we're sorry this show was not more cheery today and more goal-oriented for 2023, Look. but it's an important issue, and we hope you enjoyed it and share this with your friends and visit BreakingBattlegrounds.vote and share it on but podcasts. But before we log off and turn it over to these two videos, folks, Chuck, give me one big prediction for this coming year. I think this time next year we're still going to say this was a crazy year. I don't think anything's going to okay. change. I'm going to throw out a giant one. Okay. Putin dies by summer, and the Ukraine war is over by fall. I like that prediction. That's a good prediction. I just, like that. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't so think he's making the, it through So this. if that's the case, then this is a much better world come this time next year. I, I And I'm being hopeful that that is the case, yes. Look at us going from Canadian death squads to wishing death on Putin. But that's where we're at today. It's the world we live in, Chuck. It is the world we live in. It is a, it is a terrifying place, but we navigate it the best we can. Folks, have a wonderful New Year's Eve. Be safe on the roads. Be smart. Be wise. And visit us next week. Yeah, stay off the roads. Exactly. Take care. Dying in a hospital is not what's natural. That's not what's soft. In these kind of moments, you need softness. Thank you.
can take dying to figure out what living is actually like. I spent my life filling my heart with beauty, with nature, with connection. So I choose to fill my final moments with the same. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see music. I see the ocean. I see cheesecake. Even now, as I seek help to end my life, with all the pain, and in these final moments, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. And seeing the rhythms of what's going to keep going after I'm gone bring a lot of comfort. So Margaret Marcilla is a mother who lives outside Toronto, Canada. She's got a 23-year-old son who suffers from depression and diabetes. Also, he doesn't have a girlfriend. On that basis alone, doctors have just approved her son's assisted suicide. A doctor called Joshua Tepper signed off on it to kill the boy because he's sad and doesn't have a girlfriend. We know this because of the Substack Common Sense. You can read the details, and you should. They're shocking. This is about to become a lot more common in Canada as a way of cutting down on health care costs. By March, a new law in Canada is expected to allow children to be killed by doctors, by state doctors, without the approval of their parents. This seems like a very big change in Western civilization. Charles Camacy is a professor at Creighton School of Medicine. He's the author of Losing Our Dignity. He joins us tonight. Um, I, I sure appreciate your coming on to assess this. We've had this conversation multiple times, and each time we do, we reach a new and more terrifying load. Doctors killing kids without telling their parents because the kids are depressed? Let's see if I have the laundry list right, Tucker, at this point. We've got kids now, or what they call mature minors. We've got the homeless. We talked about that last time. The poor, the disabled, those with chronic pain. 
Um, and then right before coming on, I researched the physicians group in Quebec that wants to kill newborn infants. That's what's coming next. The Toronto Star, Tucker, a very liberal paper in Canada, called this Hunger Games Social Darwinism. This is what happens, Tucker, when um, autonomy just goes nuts. I mean, you hate to, I, I really try never to invoke the Nazis because, you know, for many reasons. But they are famous for doing this exact thing. Use doctors to murder the weakest in your society. And I thought that doctors kind of agreed after the Second World War not to do things like this. Yeah, you would think. And I'm the same way. I think we should be very, very hesitant to use those arguments. But at a certain point, Tucker, um, if the shoe fits, we Canada has to wear it. Now, the question is, can we stop this from coming to the United States? It hasn't got here yet. And I think we can. For instance, New York, Connecticut, even deep blue states like that have not... Uh, legalized even assisted suicide yet. And so what we need to do, Tucker, and all your listeners need to do this, is support in whatever way you can healthcare that is about caring, uh, not killing. In fact, there is a coalition of people. There's a coalition of people coming up with a brand new medical school, the Padre Pio School of Medicine in 2026, that is going to do this very clearly, very ably. And if others would like to join a coalition of people who are doing this, I urge them to send me a message through my website, charleskamosi.com, or through Twitter, because we have to get off the couch and do something about this for those of us that see the writing on the wall here. Shouldn't the American Medical Association weigh in and just say unequivocally, doctors in the United States don't get to kill children just because children are depressed? A doctor's job is to help people, make them better, not to kill them, give up on them when they're kids. Well, as I wrote at length in Losing Our Dignity, Tucker, we have a very, very different healthcare system than we had even 20 or 30 years ago. It is um, hyper-secularized. It is often based on cost-benefit analyses, even something called quality-adjusted life years, which is basically ableism. We've had a lot of talk about ableism over the last couple days. This is ableism right here. And it's no accident that the disability rights groups are our biggest allies in this. We should continue to employ them as, again, we get up off the couch here and fight. Yeah. Amen. Get off the couch and fight. That's exactly right. Professor Charles Camacy, thank you, as always. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it.